You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, good evening. It's great to see you tonight. I um, will tell you a little bit about... um, the mood of the evening, and then what it is that we will do. Um, This uh, service on the night of Good Friday is traditionally been in the church called a tenebrae service. It's a service of uh, shadows or of darkness. It is meant for us as believers, as a congregation, to remember the Friday that Jesus is crucified. And so the Scripture readings tonight have been a recount, a remembrance for us of how the Gospels have recorded the last uh, day of Jesus' life in His ministry uh, and taking Him to the cross and where He will give up His spirit after being mocked and scorned. What we will do on Sunday morning is that we will celebrate the resurrection together, but we don't want to rush to the resurrection without considering what it is that Jesus came to do. And so this Friday service represents this, this service of shadows, this service of darkness. And so this evening what we'll do is we will um, remember that, and then at the end of the service we will, um, as a church as believers take communion uh, together in a way that we do on a few occasions and tonight being one of those and I'll uh, explain it to you when we get there. To begin our meditation tonight I will read from 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul writing to this church makes the statement at the end of a section that has lasted for three chapters about reconciliation. He says this, that for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God did not make His Son Jesus to be a sinner, He made him to be sin, the embodiment of it, so that we might embody the righteousness of God. In the first century B.C., Cicero writes of the Roman practice of crucifixion, and he says this, that even the mere word cross must remain far not only from the lips of the citizens of Rome, but also from their thoughts and their eyes and their ears. Elsewhere, he will say that the crucifixion was the grossest, cruelest, and most hideous manner of execution. On the day of Jesus' execution on the cross, this is what God witnessed His Son experience. Every vile and wicked and cruel and grotesque part of sin gets poured out 
onto the body of Jesus. And in his humanity, he suffers the greatest act of injustice that is conceivable. The beating Jesus endured uh, before he's finally handed over for crucifixion was not normally a part of the crucifixion. It's, it's likely, as, as Luke 23 hints, that, that Pilate has him offered up to be scourged uh, with a whip that would have had pieces of glass in it, and to have him scourged within an inch of his life to appease a bloodthirsty crowd. So if they saw Jesus beaten within an inch of his life, literally, then maybe they would show compassion on him. They did not. The king then is nailed to a cross. The last act of cruelty would be delivered with a spear. They, one of the soldiers thrust it into his heart and just when you might think at the end of this scene there'd be no blood left to shed, his heart is burst with the tip of the spear and blood and water spill out all over the ground. This is what we remember tonight. And, but it's actually worse than that. The suffering of Jesus' body was only part of what the Son of God endured that day. In Romans chapter 6, just after the passage we last read, Paul goes on to say that we know that our self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So at every blow, Jesus felt the power and the evil of sin. He, he takes it into His body, His physical, literal body. He, he became the object of sin's hatred. And at the same time, He took into Himself all the sin of the world, so much so that Isaiah describes Jesus having taken to Himself all the sin in this way. He says it this way, He had no form or majesty that, it, that we should look at Him, and no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised and we esteemed Him not. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So he's not only mercilessly killed by countless acts of sin and cruelty, he became sin, is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 said. But he did not lash back in vengeance. He could have. There is no doubt that he could have called 10,000 angels who we can imagine were armed for the battle and and desperately hoping for a mere whisper from their God to unleash fury on those who would so recklessly shed the blood of their Creator. That is not what He does. Instead, He endures it. Every blow, every act of sin, every cruelty, every mockery, for the very purpose of forgiving that sin. So with every blow, he's accomplishing 
for his unrighteous executioners the possibility of becoming the righteous children of his Father. He is accomplishing righteousness for each of them and for each of us. They are killing him and he is saving them and us. There is still but more happening here in this scene. And instead of God's wrath being poured out on the wicked people, the, the religious people, the religious council, the government officials, the, the, the Roman guards, the, the, the mockers and the bystanders, the looking for a show, looking to be entertained. Instead of God pouring His wrath out on them, God takes His wrath and pours it out on His Son. The, the men responsible for the brutal and the bloody death of God's Son certainly deserved the infinite wrath of God. That's easy to understand. But God pours it out on His Son. And, and not just wrath propitiate to this injustice, meaning not just wrath um, that, that would have uh, covered uh, just these sins and these moments and this act and this scene. Not just wrath equal to that, but, but wrath infinite. Wrath for all sin, everywhere, for all time, past, present, and, and future. That the infinite wrath of God for every murder and, and rape and broken heart and war and death and disease and injury and lie and genocide and suicide bombing and, and rebellion, all, all that was in His plan from before the foundations of time all of the wrath of God is poured out on His Son. Isaiah 53 goes on to say, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He has put Him to grief out of the anguish of His soul. He shall see and be satisfied. By His knowledge shall the righteous one, My servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And He shall bear their iniquities. When you read the account of the crucifixion, everything in you feels the wrath of God kindled. That even in all our imperfection and even in all our finiteness, we know injustice when we see it and we we find ourselves kindled as we read through the account. And so you can imagine the, the eternal Father as He looks upon the eternal Son and the, and the wrath of God that is kindled. And, and you wait for God as you read the account. You, you wait for God to show up and to execute judgment, to, to save His Son from this. What you don't see is that God is pouring out His wrath. He, however, has chosen not to save His Son. He has chosen to save you and to save me. 
He takes that wrath and he pours it out upon his son Jesus. God executes judgment and justice on his son. The Old Testament speaks of a, of a cup of wrath. It is, the, it is the cup that the wrath of God continues to be stored. It is this cup that he pours out in his fury, not on the sinners, but on his son. And Jesus knew this. That's why and we've talked about on this night in the years past, the, the scene in the garden where Jesus is praying, and it's the night before his crucifixion, and he takes a few of his disciples with him after they've shared the Passover supper together. And Jesus has, has changed it and has, has brought new symbolism to it and has inaugurated, even in that, his new covenant. And then goes to the garden to spend these last moments with his father in prayer. He asked his disciples to keep watch and they, weary from the day and the events, can hardly stay awake. And Luke tells us in Luke 22 that he's praying through drops of blood mingled with sweat pouring from his brow. And he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew the cup that awaited him. More than the injustice and more than the mockery, and the slander, and the rebellion, and the beating, and the crucifixion. What Jesus found himself so heavily weighed upon was the prospect that in a matter of hours, he would drink the cup of God's wrath down to its dregs. One of the questions that comes, and <clears throat> I think it's a good question to ask, is why would God do this? I mean, surely there could be another way. He is, he's God. He, what would be the motivation behind the God of the universe to sacrifice His Son in such a way so as to save those who would execute him and would rebel against him from the beginning. John, in his first letter, writes it this way. It says, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. And in this is the love of God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, which means the one who bears God's wrath, that He would be the propitiation for our sins. In fact, what John is saying, and in in fact, what the Bible's saying from the beginning to end, that if you want to know the love of God, the, the Bible says, look to the cross. 
That's the picture and the character of God's love. Look at the bloody and bruised and beaten Jesus. Look upon the Son of God who has taken away the sin of the world by enduring that sin. Look upon the cross and the, the Messiah who, who came not to judge, but to be judged in our place. Look to the one who came and took our place. That, John says, is love. That, that's the love with which he loves you. Jesus has taken your place. So tonight we're going to remember this by partaking of the Lord's Supper. We will share communion together. We will eat this bread and we'll drink this cup tonight. And, and we do so in, in, in the remembrance and in the humility and in the soberness that, that Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath on that night 2,000 years ago, and, and, and what He does in this, and, and what we are observing tonight is that He switched the, the cups on us. He, he took the cup we were to drink, and He drank that, and then in turn hands us the cup of grace. The cup we drink from tonight is the cup of grace. The, the grape juice that we will drink in this Communion is as a reminder that we were supposed to drink from the cup of wrath. Well, that's what we deserved. But, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because He stepped in at just the right time and took my place and took your place, He drank that cup and then offers us this cup. He took the cup we deserved. And by His mercy and in His grace, offers us this cup to be reconciled. God's wrath and punishment unimaginable, He bore. So that God's grace and mercy unimaginable we could taste. So we're going <clears> to <throat> take communion tonight. I'm going to have some couples come up now that are going to help us. And what we'll do is um, it'll be a, a time of, of reflection, a time of prayer. And then in a few moments, I'm going to pray for us, and then we will um, then leave our seats and go to a station. There will be five of them. And go to one, you and, and your family, or those who you're with tonight, and you will uh, take a piece of, of bread, and you will dip it in the cup. And you will hear um, those that are attending to the elements, they will say, this is the, the body of Christ that was broken for you. It is not the body of Christ. It is the symbol of the body of Christ. It is meant to be the symbol for us to remember, for us to, to contemplate, to enter into. And you will take that bread and you will dip it into the cup for which you will hear this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then you'll take and you will eat. 
and we'll all find our way back to our seats and we'll be dismissed together. I would say tonight that what we celebrate, this, this remembrance of communion, this, this celebration of communion, even in the midst of a tenebrae service, it's a, it's a feast, it's a, it's a meal, it's a, it's a token for believers, for those that have put their faith in Jesus, in, in Jesus alone, for their salvation. And so if that's you tonight, whether you're a member of Bethel or not, I invite you to, to share in this meal with us. And, and if you're here tonight and you have never done that, I would ask that you would you'd watch us tonight, see the gospel in what it is that we do and the church has done for 2,000 years. And we'll come back together and be dismissed. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes it this way. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we do this in remembrance tonight. We do it in thanksgiving as a testimony to the death of Jesus. But I would say this before we enter into it. Friends, we enter into this, to the sorrow of the Savior's death on our behalf tonight. But the story, the story's not over. We'll finish the story Sunday. Though we mourn Jesus laid in the grave, we will celebrate with all our might that He got up on Sunday. He lives and He's coming for those who love Him and who long for His appearing for for all that have placed their faith in Him and what He's accomplished. Accomplished for us. And when He comes, He comes in complete, in total, in unquestionable victory. And for all who have not loved Him, or have turned, not turned to Him for salvation and redemption, He will come with swift and certain judgment at that time. So Paul ends this bit in 1 Corinthians 11 by saying, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He returns. So if you will, would you bow with me and we will pray and then the um, couples will spread out and as they do, I'll I'll dismiss us from our seats to partake of communion. Father, we, we come tonight realizing that, that what we observe tonight and what we remember tonight and the, the solemnity and the soberness with which we consider that Friday 2,000 years ago, Father, we, we, we come into that knowing that's not the end of the story. And yet, Father, we, we don't want to jump past this. We, we don't want to miss the opportunity together as your people to, 
to pause and to reflect and to meditate upon the sacrifice of your son. That when before the foundations of time and before the earth was created, and in your sovereignty knowing the rebellion and sin and wickedness of humanity, by the commissioned and ordained your Son by your will to be our sacrifice. That, Father, when Jesus comes into the world, he does not come in uh, in a way that, that does not identify with us. He, he comes in and takes on the fullness of humanity without in any way diminishing his deity. And so, Father, steps into our place, the place we deserved with a sacrifice and an offering, the only sacrifice and offering that could be pleasing to you. And so, Father, we know that, that Sunday is coming, and yet tonight we remember, and we meditate, and we partake of this communion together. In remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ proclaiming his death until he returns. And so that's how we pray, the only way we can, in the name of your Son Jesus and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.